So hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Entrepreneur to Author. My name's Jackie Pretty and I'm the head editor and founder of Grammar Factory and today I'm pleased to introduce Robert Bihar, author of Don't Eat the Marshmallow. In his career as a financial analyst, Rob spent 15 years teaching finance to the managers of large corporations and as he found himself being asked more and more personal finance questions, he soon realized that our money habits can be traced back to what we were taught in our childhoods and that the best way to raise adults with healthy relationships to money is to teach them good money attitudes as children. Now, according to Rob, it's never too early to start talking to your kids about money. And in his book, Don't Eat the Marshmallow, he teaches you exactly how to do it. So welcome, Rob, and thank you for being with us today. Thanks, Jackie. So to get started, would you tell us a little bit more about your business and how you got into that field? Sure. I specialize in teaching parents and their kids about money. Uh, I work specifically with parents of primary school children. Um, as you mentioned in that very nice intro, uh, I have 15 years experience as a finance analyst. And during this time, I, I found that I was very good at teaching financial concepts to people who didn't necessarily have a strong financial background. Um, I'm extremely passionate about the intersection of human behavior and money. I truly believe that when kids have a good understanding of money, especially at a young age, and they're also encouraged to do what they love, um, they can, they truly great things can happen with their lives, I believe. Mm. And, and as a parent, um, I believe we have a unique opportunity as our kids look to us as role models. Um, as parents, we can provide them with a strong sense of family uh, and we can also give them happiness, safety and love. Mm. You just, um, oh, I love everything you just said, but you're making me reflect on my own childhood and I love, I love the emphasis you place on encouraging children to do what they love and how that can actually cause great things to happen with money as well. And I know that a number of parents do actually get quite worried about their children's financial futures and it can actually cause them to, rather than encourage their children to do what they want, it can cause them to encourage their children to take, you know, the safe option. So, you know, you should study business rather than studying art and to make decisions like that. So I love how you've made the connection between following your passion and creating financial stability. Yeah, look, that's so true. I think, um, as well, especially when, when kids are at the age of, of when they're at primary school and uh, it's important that parents realise that their attitudes impact on their kids, especially at that age. Um, so as part, of, as part of what I'm teaching, as part of what's in the book as well, um, in terms of what to teach your kids about money, I also ask parents to reflect on what their attitudes are to see whether... Um, they're actually doing as they preach, if you like. Mm -hmm. So would you tell us a little bit about your book? Yeah, sure. During my research for the book, um, parents would tell me that the things that used to frustrate them the most about kids and money would be that their kids would waste money. Um, mm -hmm. they, they couldn't save any money. And, and the other thing too was that their kids wanted things straight away. It was a bit of an instant gratification, uh, especially in today's world. Mm -hmm. I think you mentioned in the introduction as well, what I find is that kids are never too young to learn about money and what to do with it. Um, I think parents also 
have a fear that if they're not good at maths, if they don't understand financial language, that they won't be able to necessarily teach their kids about money or if they had situations where things didn't work out for them in terms of money, uh, they're also scared that they might teach their kids the wrong things. Mm. Um, so basically the reason I wrote the book was um, to provide fun and easy uh, examples on how to teach your kids the right money behaviour. So it's not necessarily about maths and, and learning how to do financial calculations it's really a lot of it's to do with attitudes towards money. I started talking to my kids about money by asking them one simple question and, and I'd ask them, do you know where money comes from? Um, I mean, as adults, we know that money comes from working, but mm -hmm. it's, it's, great. it's a great question to ask kids at a young age because what they, you can understand in terms of what they see. Um, in today's world, they don't see a lot of money exchanging hands. They see plenty of credit cards being used at shops and they see mm. people going to the ATM to get money out. But for them to understand how that money gets into the ATM, it was a great way for me to start teaching my kids about money. Um, I started teaching my kids what to do with money uh, by giving them weekly allowances or weekly pocket money. So in my book, I share the money conversations I had with my kids as well as the fun things we did together um, to teach them how to use their pocket money to save, to give, and to live. So can you give some examples of some of the things you did with your children in those um, different cases? Yep, sure. Um, so in terms of teaching kids to save, what, what I did with both of my children, so I've got a daughter who's aged eight and a son who's aged 11. Um, so they were both at different levels of, of money understanding, which was great as well. So I'd actually ask them, what, what would you like to do with, with your pocket money? What would you like to save for? And both of them had come up with things that were more about wants. So, so my son wanted a Sony PlayStation and my daughter wanted a Care Bear uh, toy, I think it was. So then the next step was to, to sit down with them and actually find out how much do these things cost? Um, just to give them a bit of an idea of, okay, well, it would take me so many number of weeks to save up for those items. Mm. So with my daughter, I think the Care Bear cost about $70 and um, we decided to give my daughter $7 a week, which was just the same as her age. It helped her remember what, what uh, amount of pocket money she'd get. So once she figured out it would cost her about 10 weeks to save, she sort of looked at me and went, oh, does that mean I have to wait? Ten weeks is a long time. <laughs> and I said, well, that's, that's, how, that's how you save for something. Do you think you can do it? And then she thought about it and said, yep, I think I can. But after three weeks, she saw a, a set of teacups um, somewhere that she just, her heart was set on buying it. So um, to make it a bit of fun, I actually, we, we took her pocket money out of her, her, her money box and we actually went down to the shop together and she was holding you know, $5 notes in her hand and we went up to, to buy the tea set. There was no price on it. So we thought, oh, no, how much is this going to cost? Do we have enough? Because I think she took $20 with her. So it, it ended up being quite a fun day because we took the tea set up to the counter um, asking for the price and the person at the counter didn't know. So they had to call call the store manager in. And I don't think he was, I don't think he was having a great day. He looked a bit flustered. There was a bit of a line up as well. 
So he sort of looked at my daughter and said, look, it's your lucky day today. I think uh, if you gave us five dollars for that tea set, we'd be, you know, we'd be okay. And she looked up at me with a big smile on her face, took the five dollar note out and passed it over. And you know, she still plays with that tea set today. And then, and I think every now and then she'll sort of come up to me and say, "Can you remember that time we went and bought it together?" Mm-hmm. Um, so, look, I, I, I just found it was a great, you know, when you see your kids go through that, it's something simple for an adult, but. Um, it's a great memory. It's a great experience. I mean, my daughter didn't even realise that she was learning how to save. She didn't feel as though she was part of a lesson, um, but she was having fun. And so when I think when kids don't realise that they're in like a lesson type environment, but they're learning and having fun along the way, I think it's a great way for kids to learn. You know, you're sort of combining entertainment and education. I think it's a great thing. Mm, and the um it almost sounds like a great exercise for, you know, creating memories as well. I mean, she'll probably tell her children about that when she grows up. Absolutely. And I think that that sense of family and what what role parents can play in terms of, you know, teaching their kids, I guess my angle is teaching your kids about money and, and how that can create strong family, strong memories uh, is pretty important. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like, um, you know, through your professional experience and through your experience with your own family, you did have a lot of material that you could use for your book. Yes. So how did you find the writing process and did having all of that background make it easier? Yeah, look, it did. When I look back on the writing process, um, the mentoring provided by small business author Andrew Griffiths during the Key Person of Influence program that I did really did set me up for success because I had before that I had not written in one I had not written a thousand words I can't remember putting a thousand words together so the fact that you had to write a thousand words a day as part of a challenge I found quite daunting so his mentoring was was a great was a great help Um, the mind mapping exercise that he ran as well was a turning point for me Um, during that because during that exercise I unpacked ideas that had been floating around in my head for 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 a couple of years at least. Uh, you know, I'd always had this idea about trying to help people uh, about money, but it was just sitting in my head. Um, so at the end of that exercise, I had a big A3 size sheet of paper, which was literally a brain dump, and that formed the basis for my book. And I would refer back to the mind map uh, when it come to writing the book synopsis. And whenever I got uh, writer's block, I'd, I'd pull the mind map out and just have a look and see how the, the ideas I had in terms of how to save, how to teach your kids to give, the notion about, you know, the cost of living and how to teach your kids about debt. So I'd always refer back to that whenever I, I'd have a bit of a writer's block. Mm-hmm. I also did plenty of research for the book and captured any articles of interest and, and I logged that on a, an Excel spreadsheet that I kept and I'd also refer back to that. I'd link back any articles to the main headings I had on my mind map so that I could refer back to these for facts and figures, um, which I found was a great way to also fill any gaps I had in the writing process. So when I started the thousand words a day challenge, I I wanted to build a bit of routine into it as well. So I'd wake up at six o'clock every morning um, and I'd try and write for a couple of hours before work. I'd write about what I thought was most important or was on, what was on my mind at the time. By starting the day with this challenge, I also found that 
when I went to work during the day, ideas would just come to my mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like a bit of a spur of the moment thing. So I'd make a note of these ideas during the day. And then uh, at night, I'd write for another couple of hours once the kids went to bed. The other thing I did is I didn't start by looking at chapter one and saying, okay, this is how I'm going to start my book. Um, by writing what was on my mind, I'd switch from chapters depending on what I thought or what I felt was important to write about every day. So the first 13,000 words I completed by day 15, so I felt quite good. But then all of a sudden my pen went dry. Oh, no. (laughs) And I panicked. I panicked. So what I did was I contacted my editor and asked her for some advice. And she told me to send her what I had done and then for me to take a couple of days off, which I I thought to myself, I can't do that. We're supposed to write a 1,000 words a day. But she, she explained to me that, She'd try and do the editing for me during those couple of days and just to take a break. Um, And the strategy worked because when I read my edited work that she returned, then some more ideas were sparked in my mind. Mm. So whenever I got stuck, I did give myself some time off and this seemed to recharge my thoughts. I also wrote down three key things or three key takeaways from Andrew's mentoring And they were that people remember anecdotes, stories, and examples. So to your point before, I'd think about, I'd think back to those stories and experiences I shared with my kids Mm. as I gave them pocket money and and had those conversations. So I started making notes of those and including those in the book. Whenever I used to write something and I struggled a bit, I used to ask myself, is this my best thinking or am I just filling space? And, and I decided to leave things in, but if I wasn't sure if it was my best thinking, I'd highlight it so that I wanna, when I sent it to the editor, she'd know that this was something that I was questioning a little bit. Mm. And I also asked myself every time I wrote something, how can I make it more engaging? So I found that the use of my personal stories was the best way to do this. I finished my manuscript in 45 days, which was a great achievement. I'm, I'm really Congratulations. proud of that. Yeah, I'm really proud of that. But then what happened though was I held on to it. <laughs> I held on, even though it was edited mm. as well, I held on to it for nearly two months because I kept going back and triple checking everything. I, I guess I was scared to, to take the next stage. Mm. Then what I did was I took a deep, deep breath and I sent my manuscript out to a few people in my target market and asked them for feedback. Um, The feedback I got back was really positive and this gave me the encouragement to then take the next step and I remember the day that I agreed with the printers to press the print button was was such a wonderful relief. That's interesting. Um, Why a relief? Because I knew then that that was the finished product. Mm. um, That that you can't tweak it and fiddle with it anymore. (laughs) That's right. I'd taken it so far, I'd had I had the feedback, I'd triple checked it, I knew it was time, but once you do make that decision to say, hey, let's print, then you know it's 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 out there, it's it's ready to go. So it just felt yeah, I just remember it was it was a great relief. Now you've um you've mentioned working with your editor and going to the printer and I think it's important to highlight that you self published your book rather than going to a conventional publishing house. That's right. So how did you manage that process and how did you find you know, the various people you worked with to bring your book to life. Yep. What I did was I referred, there was a publishing resource um, that was provided by Andrew Griffiths and the the key person of influence team. 
So I referred to that resource. Um, I contacted a few editors before I actually started writing. I wanted an editor, because it was first time writing uh, for me, I wanted an editor uh, who was also pre- uh, prepared to provide some coaching. Mm. So after speaking to a couple of editors, I chose the one that I felt most comfortable with and there was a bit of a reliance for me on, on someone who would provide that extra bit of coaching as well. When it came to choosing a designer and printer, I went back to the KPI group and asked for referrals uh, via the Facebook uh, group. Um, Darren Finkelstein from Melbourne Group One, he was Mm -hmm. a great help in recommending people, uh, as were a few others. So as these referrals had worked on previous KPI books, we could actually see the finished product. So for example, with Darren's book, and the and the cover design, you could actually see it because his book had been published and was available. So you could make it was easier for me to make decisions because you'd actually could refer to the finished product. You could actually contact these people and and ask them for for how they found the process working uh, with these people individually. Mm-hmm. So that was a massive help for a first time author like myself who wanted to self publish. So even though I ended up hiring an editor, designer and printer individually, because all of them had worked within the KPI network, they had actually worked together Mm. on some of these books, which I didn't realize at the time. But because they had, it just made the process run more smoothly. So if I wasn't sure about when the edited manuscript should go to the designer for an internal layout, that was all handled between the editor and, and the book designer. So it did, it did mean that the process ran a lot more smoothly than I thought it would for someone who hadn't tried it before. <laughs> you know, that's interesting because something I hear from a lot of self-published authors is it was much easier than I thought it would be. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the biggest challenge is the writing and the rest of the publishing process. You know, as long as you're working with people who know what they're doing, it does go quite smoothly. Yeah. Mm. So if you could do it again, would you have done anything differently? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and when I was looking back on uh, my writing process, I don't think I'd change much. Um, I think having the mind map and the book synopsis, they were great reference points for whenever I got stuck and and having the research there as well doing that up front meant that um, it was always easy to refer back to things and add add things into the writing process what I'd probably do a bit differently is I'd seek feedback from my target market earlier Mm. in the manuscript stage rather than waiting for like the final edited version and then triple checking it like I did I would probably have got it out there a little bit earlier in hindsight, I held back on sending it out because I didn't think it was ready. Mm-hmm. Uh, in particular, there was one chapter that I felt wasn't complete. So when I did send it out, the feedback I did receive was quite positive, but there was also a lot of comments around that one chapter that I wasn't comfortable with, and I ended up using some of the feedback to finish it. So it was a, it was a great help. At the same time, by, by people reading my manuscript, it also helped spread the word about the book, mm. which which was a good thing as well. And as um, as someone who is an entrepreneur as well as an author, I'd love to hear about the impact that you know getting published and having this book has had on your business. Yeah, sure. Um, look, I think writing a book, uh, the writing process has unpacked a framework 
um, that I think I've mentioned a few times. It was sitting inside my head for a couple of years. So I'm actually a first-time entrepreneur. I'm I'm someone who who's been working in corporate land for over 15 years. Um, so writing the book was a great starting point. Um, it's also given me clarity for my core product. Mm. I've also found that it's the best business card a new business owner can have. <laughs> when someone asks you what you do and you can, you know, pull out a book and actually say, I've written a book. It's about how to teach your kids about money. It's targeted towards primary school children. Straight away, I think they can look at the book and go, wow, is that, you know, this is what Rob's all about. And, and they can take the book away and read it. Mm. It definitely gives you credibility. And, and with that comes the confidence um, to share with everyone what your best thinking is, you know, via the book. Um, for me, it's provided also a path to generate leads and to explore opportunities in developing my program for parents. So I'd like to run a pilot program in November of this year, which takes the, the seven steps I talk about in the book. And it's a bit of classroom workbook teaching uh, with parents. So I'll be running a pilot in November and using the feedback from this pilot to help me launch my program uh, in early 2014. So it sounds like... um. You know, you being in the position where you could use a book to launch your business, it really, it really accelerated the process. Whereas if you'd started the business without the book, it would have taken a lot longer to get to that stage. Absolutely, because obviously the writing process gives you clarity mm. um, in terms of what you want to do, as well as what your core product could be based on. And I think that's why the KPI program has that as step two. I, I think it's very important once you realise what your pitch is and what you want to do. Uh, I think obviously that's why they had published at number two. And for me, it it certainly was was a, a big thing starting out as a new business in terms of being able to articulate and document, I suppose, my IP and what I want, what I do. Mm. So do you think you'll be writing another book then? Yeah, I, I actually would like to write another book. I've actually started writing what I call individual chapters on some of my experiences of, of becoming a small business owner. For someone who's worked, as I mentioned before, in corporate land for over 15 years, I found the transition to be quite challenging at times. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to capture my story. I'd love my kids to read it when they're older and, and hopefully it will inspire them to to chase their dream, if you like, or, or, or to do what they to they, you know, to eventually do what they love as well. No, absolutely. Hmm. No, I'm just sitting with that. I love the fact that you can use your book to inspire your children as well as, you know, as this business tool. Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, the, the great thing about, because um, I involved my family a fair bit in the writing process, it was something I remember Andrew Griffiths mentioning as well, is to be quite open about, what you what you need to do so that 30-day challenge you know everyone here in the house was aware that sort of I'd be focusing on that what it did do which was great is my son loves drawing so he actually uh, started writing or started drawing pictures for some of my chapter headings and we ended up using those in the book with the help of of my wife who sort of tidied them up a bit so you know the book also inspired my son to do his illustrations and he's a bit of a writer as well he loves writing stories so it's definitely inspired him to to continue to do that as well oh wow that's wonderful 
So where can our listeners go to learn more about you and your business and your book? Yeah, sure. Um, my book is available on my website, which is uh, robertbihar.com. The site also contains a bit more information about me, in particular what I do and, and the people I help as well. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. And I look forward to seeing book number two. <laughs> Great. Thanks, Jackie. It's It's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much. You're welcome.